Have you ever thought or said these things about yourself? I can take care of myself, and I think others should and could do the same. I'm okay if people ask a few specific questions about my personal life, but I don't like to give out too much personal information. I need time alone. I think thoughts are more reliable than feelings. Often I find that I would rather observe than participate. I trust myself. That means I like to think about things for a while, and then I make my own well-thought-out logical decisions. And groups being uninformed makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like big social gatherings. I'd rather be with small groups of people. Chances are, if, if this sounds like something that you would say or something that uh, a friend you know would say, that you or that person you're thinking of are on the road of knowledge. And now, if you're on this road of knowledge, you're in pretty good company. I mean, where would we be without the technological and com- innovations to the computer that, that Bill Gates has made? I mean, even my sermon notes this morning are on a Microsoft program. Where would we be without the scientific advancements of Albert Einstein and many other people in the scientific community? And how would we engage and interact with one another if Mark Zuckerberg never invented Facebook? And I think we can add to this list Nicodemus from our scripture reading just a couple of minutes ago. Someone who is logical, who is reserved, who likes to blend in to the crowd, who is self-sufficient and very knowledgeable and intellectual. And when I think of people in my life that uh, walk the road of knowledge, I think about my college uh, friend and uh, and my college roommate, or my seminary roommate for the past couple of years. This guy, when he would get bored of doing the 50 to 100 pages of reading in the theology books that we had for a class every night, he would blow off some steam by breaking out his calculus textbook and going over that from college. A, a, a textbook, not just a normal math book, a textbook. Uh, or he, if he didn't do that, he would download programming uh, onto his computer that taught him how to code so he could, uh, you know, just in his spare time, pick up how to code computers or program them. Or uh, he would also take the, big, the next big scientific article about string theory and, and pour over that and read that. He was the kind of guy when when he would get ready to write his sermons or his essays for class, what he would do is he'd have an outline, but it would look more like a math equation because he was trying to figure out the logic of where he wanted to go in his argument to make sure it made sense. So he had a bunch of Greek letters and something that looked like a formula or a math equation rather than an English paper or a sermon. And he was the kind of guy who would always think things out really well. If he was going to argue with someone or challenge someone, he'd have to think about it for a long, long time and then make his point after he had thought out of all the possibilities in his head. And he's the kind of guy who is self-sufficient, meaning that if I offered him a little bit of uh, my food, if I made extra food that night or uh, a snack or something like that, he would always at first refuse and say, I can get that myself or "I I can make that myself. Because people who walk on the road of knowledge pride themselves in being self-sufficient. Now, does this sound like anyone you might know? (laughs) Someone who who gets sucked into the rabbit trails of YouTube and and just watches video after video because they're all so interesting. Or they, they watch every single Netflix documentary that comes out regardless of what the subject is just because they find them all so intriguing. 
Someone who just wants to seek and learn more and more knowledge. Does this sound like you or, or someone you know in your life, maybe? And this is a good thing. We, we love people who walk the road of knowledge, and there's many benefits to walking this road. I mean, people who walk the road of knowledge usually make very good EMTs. They're really good in crisis situations because they can remain emotionally detached and emotionally neutral. They don't get sucked into others' feelings so they can make the decisions that they know they have to make to resolve the situation. Or if you have a big life decision coming up, they're a good person to go and to talk to because of the fact that they will help you weigh out uh, each possibility of the situation. And they, you might not like the answer that they give you, but it probably makes the most sense for your interests. And they're very thorough, very hardworking people who, who think every possibility through. And if you give them their space, if you let them do it the way they want because they value autonomy so much, then they're going to do a great job at it. And they don't display their affection or their friendship or tell you that they love you in words. What they will do is they'll have profound acts of service and love for you. They'll, they'll do things like travel across the country just so that they can get an opportunity to talk to you and get a chance to see you, even if it's just for a weekend. There's many good things about the road of knowledge. However, what people on the road of knowledge tend to do, one pitfall that they tend to fall into is that they are too secure in their base of knowledge that they have. That, that they hope in that and their future and everything is secure in that. Has anyone here ever seen uh, the Schoolhouse Rock videos? Is anyone familiar with those here? All right, good. We got, we got more people than in the earlier service. But um, these, if you haven't seen them, these videos, they're, they're pretty old. I watched them on VHS tapes. But uh, they're, they're these cartoons, and they have sing-along songs for kids that, that help teach them about different topics and subjects in school, like, like history or math or grammar or uh, American government or history, all of that sort of stuff. And in the opening to every video, they have a little cartoon kid who says, knowledge is power. And we hear that a lot in society, and it's thrown around a lot, that knowledge is power. We, in our culture, we really like knowledge. We really value education because we believe that it can be used as a tool, almost as a weapon, so that we can get through any obstacle that life has to throw at us. And I mean, that's why, that's why we send our kids to school, so that they can get a good education, they can gain more knowledge, hopefully in college, and then they can have a secure career. We say knowledge is power, but I really think another way to put it is that knowledge is security. I think this quote from Henry Ford uh, puts it into a good perspective, uh, this, this point of view. He says that the only real security that a man can have in this world is a reserve of knowledge, experience, and ability. Those three things, knowledge, experience, and ability, that, that if you have enough knowledge, if you have enough experiences to draw from, if you can check off that last ability on your resume, that extra thing that makes you stand out, then you can excel at life. You have the ultimate security in your future. You can, you can go out there and do anything that you set your mind to. And there might be some truth to this. Knowledge definitely makes our world a better place. But the problem is, and the, the rock that many people on this road of knowledge stumble over, is that they can put security, their security and their future in this knowledge. 
to a fault almost. Because at the end of the day, knowledge is good. Uh, if you want to inform yourself about a societal issue or a political uh, argument, and you can, you can use knowledge to back up your decision with facts and logic and reason, you can study a specific field and you can excel in that field and have a good career and maybe even make advancements in that field and accomplish things that no one else has done before. Or if you just have a wide enough base of knowledge in a variety of different things, then you're a more well-rounded, well-informed, well-educated individual, which is something that we all value in our culture. But the problem is, is that at some point, this knowledge is going to fail us. At some point, there's going to be something in life that we don't have control over. Our knowledge is going to fail us at one point. We're going to run out of things to know that will help us in a certain situation. I mean, for example... You are secure and in control in your knowledge of finances and, and your retirement plan and how the stock markets, markets worked before, that is, until the 2008 recession hit. You are secure and in control in your knowledge of how to do your job, how to do it well, until your boss tells you that they're going to be looking at laying off some people in the near future. Or upper management has said that they're going to look to hire someone who has a higher degree of education than you have for that position. You are secure in your knowledge and in control of your life until in your, in your knowledge of how to keep your family safe and, and what vaccines your kids need, when you should go to the doctor, until this mysterious coronavirus swept across the country and even landed in your hometown. You see, at some point, there's going to be something in your life that you don't have control over. And what this, what this security that you have in this grand base of knowledge it is really, it's, it's a false sense of security. And we can never really be in total control of our lives. I don't think this is just an American 2020 problem that we're having right here today. I think this is something that we can see even in the story of Nicodemus and in his life. You see, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, and, and Pharisees were really well respected in their day in ancient Israel. Everybody respected and admired the Pharisees because their whole goal in life was to live a life that's pleasing to God, which is a really good thing. And the way that they would do it is they would make sure that they followed God's law to the letter. They made sure that they did everything in the scriptures. And more than that, they even emphasized these, these other traditions of the Jewish culture and the, the elders is what they're called. They emphasized these traditions so that it formed a fence around God's law so that you can even get close to breaking one of the laws that God gave to Moses without breaking one of these traditions. So that kept you safe. You were secure in your knowledge of the law. And so that, that, that's what the Pharisees did. And everybody really liked the Pharisees. And uh, they were very well educated, as you can imagine. They had a lot of knowledge about the scripture. And Nicodemus was even more than that, though. We hear in the Gospel of John that was just read a few minutes ago that, that Nicodemus was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. And it was kind of like the Supreme Court in ancient Israel. And so these were, these were the people that Jesus was dragged before right after he was arrested. And, and they made the ruling whether they should uh, let him go free or whether they should hand him over to the Romans to be crucified. So Nicodemus is a pretty important guy. And Jesus even highlights this in his encounter with him by calling him the teacher of Israel uh, to show how, how knowledgeable, how important he really was. 
And the, the people like Nicodemus, they, they have a logic for everything. And so Nicodemus, he had a systematic formula for how to live a good life. You just follow this law plus this law plus this law equals right relationship with God. Equals access to the kingdom of God. That was Nicodemus' whole worldview. So you can imagine when a guy like Nicodemus who wants to seek and gain more and more knowledge, when he hears about this new rabbi, who Jesus, who is teaching all of these things about, uh, he's doing all of these teachings with such authority over scripture like no one has had before. And he is doing signs that a person can only do if God is with them. So Nicodemus wanted to learn more about Jesus. And as Pastor Matt said, he, he wanted to do it secretly so that he didn't, wasn't affiliated with Jesus because for a guy like Nicodemus, who's so important in Israel, that's a dangerous thing. So Nicodemus goes at night and he meets with Jesus, expecting that Jesus is going to back up his formula for life, his formula for how to live a good life according to God. But instead, what does Jesus tell him? He says you have to be reborn, that no one, unless they are reborn, can see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is, is confused by this. He's saying, what, what do you mean, Jesus? You mean I have to physically come out of my mother a second time? That's, that's ridiculous. And so Nick, Jesus says to him, no, that's not what I mean. You have to be born of the water and the spirit of God. And this doesn't really compute with Nicodemus. He's saying, well, what, what, what am I supposed to do? How do I obtain that? What do I do in order to get that? And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point, Nicodemus. The point is that you can't do it. The spirit of God is like the wind. You can feel the effect of the wind. You know that the wind exists. You can feel it acting on you, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You don't understand how it works. In the same way, the Spirit of God, you can feel the Spirit of God upon you. It has an effect upon you, but you don't understand how it works. You can't manipulate the Spirit of God. The Spirit simply will act where it will. And at this point, Jesus, or Nicodemus, all he can say is, how can these things be? Because what Jesus just did, he took all the security that Nicodemus had in his knowledge about the scriptures and his knowledge and ability to uphold the law, and he ripped it right out from under his feet. Nicodemus was brought back to square one, asking the question, how do I have access to the kingdom of God? How do I live a life pleasing to God? Because what happens when anyone, no matter what road they walk, whether it's the road of knowledge or any of the other roads that we're talking about in this sermon series, no matter what perspective they have, no matter what motivates you, what worldview you have, Jesus is going to break that down. That's what happens when you encounter the word of God. When you encounter the word of God, all your, your uh, pre preconceived notions about how to live a life pleasing to God are torn down because Jesus says you can't do anything to live a life pleasing of God. What Jesus wants for you is to be dependent on him. Just like a child is born and he, the child doesn't do anything to be born. They, they play no part in it other than just receiving what is happening to them. In the same way, you can't play a part in gaining access to the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus does what, what anyone who walks the road of knowledge might do. He goes back to, to the group of the Pharisees. He, he just observes the teachings that Jesus has given them. He thinks about it. He mulls over these teachings. And, and we learn in chapter 7 of John that Nicodemus actually believes in Jesus. 
that he becomes a secret believer because he doesn't want the Pharisees to know yet. He doesn't want to risk his status, his authority, all of these things that are built up on his knowledge of the scriptures. He doesn't want to risk any of that until that is at the ending of the Gospel of John when Jesus is dead on the cross. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who is another member of this Jewish Supreme Court, these two men who just witnessed Jesus being dragged before them, being beaten, being spit upon, and handed over to the Romans, to Gentiles, to be executed. These two guys who just witnessed this happening and who didn't say anything, now speak loudly as they take the body of Jesus. They take pounds and pounds. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices to bury Jesus with, to mask the, the smell of decay, as was the custom. And they buried him. And they gave him honors worthy of a king. That amount of spices wasn't uncommon, but it was reserved for royalty. And this shows just a little bit of what, what Nicodemus has realized. That the kingdom of God isn't a place where you can show your credentials at the door, where you can say, I have all the knowledge, I know all the answers, so I can get in. The kingdom of God isn't a specific place. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of Jesus. It's wherever Jesus is. And Nicodemus finally understood this when the Spirit showed him that, when the Spirit acted upon him so that he believed. And he saw that the kingdom of God was in Jesus. And so he pays tribute to his fallen king with honors worthy of a king in his burial. And they do this very publicly. It's not, it's not a secret that they took the body of Jesus and buried him. And Nicodemus is going to be even more bold in his faith in the coming days because after Jesus' resurrection, according to the tradition of the church, we learn that Nicodemus professed his faith in Christ publicly and that he lost his status, his authority as a Pharisee and as a member of the council. He probably lost a lot of his wealth that he might have had. He had to flee Jerusalem, risking his life at this time, as we know from Acts. The Christians at this time were being persecuted. He risks all of these things. He turns his back on that security, on that base of knowledge that he had because he learned the one thing that any of us need to know. And that is that Jesus is Lord. And he had security in the promises of Jesus through his death and resurrection that Jesus has given him the status and authority as a child of God. And he was secure in that. And we see this massive character shift from Nicodemus not willing to speak up on behalf of Jesus, at least, at least publicly. And we see Nicodemus wanting to just simply blend in with the crowd and think about it to Nicodemus coming out and professing his faith. And this can only be attributed to the fact that he believed in Jesus as his one security, the one thing, the one piece of knowledge that we need to know in life, that Jesus is Lord. And you have this same security. You have the same status as a child of God. You're baptized in, in the water and the spirit of God, like El was today. And you're all given the status and the authority as a child of God. And your security is no longer in the things of this world, no longer in, in what you know in this world, in what status and authority, what possessions you have here, but it is in the promises of Jesus that he has a place prepared for you in the new creation. Rest secured in that. For those of you who walk this road of knowledge, 
go with three things. Know that you, as you walk this road of knowledge, should seek, recalibrate, and initiate. Those three things. You should seek. You should keep seeking knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. It helps make the world a better place for all of us. And it makes, it makes things a little bit easier. We are able to, to prevent disease and do all of these things with the knowledge that we have. And your team on Trivia Night is able to win because of all the knowledge that you have stored up. So that's a good thing. But don't seek this knowledge so that you can hoard it up for yourself, so that you can make yourself a foundation of security in all this knowledge so that you know how to do everything. You are independent. You don't need anyone else to help you. That's not why you should seek knowledge. When that happens, you should recalibrate. You should seek to give that knowledge to those around you. You should seek to love those around you in that way, as Jesus instructs all of us to do. And finally, you should initiate. And that you should initiate relationships that you wouldn't have initiated before. Uh, Engage in conversations that, that you might not have all the answers to, where you might not be the smartest person in the room. Because like Nicodemus had the boldness to leave everything else behind him that he was securing, you too have the opportunity to do that, to leave behind your, your security and, and standing on the sidelines and blending in with everybody else, to risk not knowing all the answers in the conversation, to risk not being the smartest person in the room, because in that way you can build new relationships with people you wouldn't have before. You might have a chance to learn something new, to share that knowledge that you have with them, to love your neighbor in that way. You might even have the opportunity to love them by sharing the gospel with them. As I wrap up here, I want to I leave you guys with an image. That's the image of a nightlight. Because when you're growing up, as a child, your bedroom can be a scary place at night without a nightlight. It can be a place where, where you see monsters at the foot of your bed, and in that corner of the room, there's, there's something creeping and crawling, and you just know it, but you can't see it because it's in the darkest corner of the room. And there's monsters right outside your window scratching at your window. But when you have your nightlight in, you know that that monster at the foot of your bed and across the room is just your pile of dirty clothes and a jacket draped over a chair. That there's nothing creeping and crawling in that corner of the room and that it's just a branch scratching at your window in the wind. In the same way, this world is a dark place. And unlike your childhood bedroom, it's a place that's actually dangerous, where there's things like sin, death, and the devil, disease, violence, all of these things that can actually hurt you. But just like that child has the nightlight, you have the light of Jesus in your heart. So that you should be no more afraid of the things of this world than a child is, should be of the monsters under their bed. Because, not, not because they're not going to hurt you, but because your security is beyond the things of this world. Your security is in Jesus, and in the future that he has prepared for you beyond the terrors and the monsters of this world. That is the reality that you're a child of God, and that you have a future, and that he is preparing a place for you in the new creation that is coming soon, hopefully even today. And just as the father goes to the child scoops him up after that night of bad dreams and, and 
things creeping around in the dark and holds him close as he tells him everything. And the father tells the child, it's okay, the night is over. In that same way, when Jesus returns to bring you into the new creation, God the Father is going to hold you close. He's going to wipe away the tears from your eyes because the horrors, the terrors, and the monsters of this world are over. And you're in his kingdom where there is no darkness. There's only light. That light comes from God himself when you get to see him face to face. So go out into the darkness of this world, because there's still a lot of darkness out there, and carry the light of Jesus with you. That when you're confronted with suffering and with the terrible things of this world, you can hope in Jesus, in the future that he has prepared for you as his child in the new creation, because that's where your security is. When you meet people who are apprehensive, who are fearful of of who's going to be president in November or of the next big crisis of 2020, point them back to the light of Jesus, to the light that he gives to all people. The promises of the resurrection and the new world that he is preparing for you even now, where you have the status and authority not from this world, but as a child of God. And where you will dwell with Jesus and God the Father face to face, there is no darkness at all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the light of the world that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for, for the knowledge that you give us the ability to to use our reason to care for your creation and to care for one another. And we thank you for people who seek that knowledge. We pray that you would help us to do that as well. We pray that we wouldn't use this knowledge as our security and hope and future, but that instead we would be dependent upon you for everything. And that you'd be with us to remind us of, of the promises of your death and resurrection that you're giving to us and and promises of the new creation where we will be able to stay with you and dwell with you face to face. And we pray that you'd help us to love those around us and to share this truth and reality with them. In your name we pray, amen.